Okay. Hey, okay. Uh, got a good morning this morning. Um, like I mentioned in the email to you guys in the last couple of weeks, maybe you didn't see it. Um, this, is, uh, this is an important topic for us to think about, think through. Uh, it's a topic that we talked about together in here maybe like a year and a half ago. Uh, this book right here, I'm going to be mentioning it, mentioning, it, mentioning it several times here. It's something that I hope has been in front of you guys. Uh, I'm trying to as much as possible. If you haven't read this, I encourage you to. Um, dating and relationships. Here we go. Uh, this is something that probably most of you guys are thinking about. Uh, if you aren't yet, uh, you will. Uh, sorry, this is really low. Um, here's, what, here's my experience with dating relationships. Well, growing up. When I, when I was growing up, from ba- basically ages like 8 to 12, I watched, when I would come, from, come home from school, I watched Saved by the Bell like th- two or three times a day because on TBS they would just like show them back to back. And so... I couldn't wait to get to high school uh, because basically I couldn't wait to date Kelly Kapowski, right? Uh, and then, so like my entire framework for expectation of dating was because of what Zach Morris did. Uh, and then in middle school and high school, uh, I watched Friends a lot. Uh, I wasn't necessarily convinced that like there were no limits uh, in, in dating and purity, but certainly those limits and lines started to be pushed a bit. Uh, and then... Man, I never watched it religiously, but I've certainly seen shows like The Bachelor or stuff like this where, like, just an episode here or there. But it basically shows us that not only is it okay to make out with people, like, ten minutes after you know them, but to actually decide if you actually can be with somebody, you actually have to make out with complete strangers, right? Uh, And so this was, like, my understand—basically my understanding and framework for what a dating-type relationship should look like was based on what I was watching on TV. Uh, and so the problem is, how about some clip art for you guys? Maybe? Yeah. Uh, the problem is we're, we're just like slowly boiling, right? We're like frogs in, our pot, frogs in a pot and our consciences are evaporating. Uh, and we're looking more and more like the culture around us. In fact, the culture around us is shaping what we think about dating rather than uh, what, what God's word has to say about it. Uh, and the biggest problem I think I see in in our dating relationships as Christians is that we just don't have a plan. Most of us, maybe not most of us, some of us, hopefully most of us, want to do what is God-honoring and what is right. Uh, We just don't know what to do because we think that uh, the Bible hasn't spoken on this, hasn't spoken on dating. So the problem is we just don't have a plan. Uh, We just kind of stumble along as Christians, as teenagers, in college, maybe out of college, uh, just mimicking what we see on TV, but our consciences aren't really there. We just start to begin to look like what we see on TV. Uh, we're just a kind of a baptized version of pop culture around us rather than a radically different version. So because of that, because we're, we don't have a plan, we're left with lots of questions. Lots of questions like, what is the point of a, of a dating relationship? Uh, who should I date? Should I date in the first place? What can I and can't, what can't, what can I and can't do physically? How far is too far? That's a real, a big question, right? Uh, And then does the Bible speak to any of this at all? Uh, Well, I think 
We have answers for all those. And just to tell you, I'm going to move through this really, really quick. What I'm about to present to you guys in 40 minutes, we did in like four or five hours, like a year and a half ago. So this is like the Cliff's Notes version, and that's why I would really encourage you guys to get this book um, and think through this um, more thoughtfully. So, uh, first of all, if you, if you guys have on your sheets there, uh, we want to think about what is the purpose of a dating relationship. And uh, I've, I, I kind of gave you guys the warning um, in, the, in the email. Uh, we're not going to get really nitty-gritty here, but uh, I'm going to use the word sex some this morning, okay? Can we move past that? Are we ready for that? Uh, but why did God make us sexual beings in the first place? Have you guys ever thought about that? Like, he could have. There are, there are atoms or there are, like, amoebas uh, that exist that are asexual, right? They go like this, and they are now one has become two, right? This happens, right? Why didn't God just make us like that, where I can like, I don't know, like my hips slide off, and now I'm two people, right? Why did he make me a, a sexual being uh, that desires uh, a sexual relationship? Uh, until we understand that, we may miss the point and miss everything about our dating relationships. So the first thing we need to see and understand is that God did indeed make us sexual beings. Uh, and the reason for that is this. The purpose of a sexual relationship is this. To serve as a life, or serve as a living portrait of the life-changing spiritual unions that believers have with God through Christ. The purpose of a sexual relationship is to serve as a living portrait of the life-changing spiritual union that believers have with God through Christ. How's this? How is this? Paul tells us, I'm not going to read through all this, but Paul t- tells us in Ephesians 5 that, uh, that sex and the sexual relationship, a man-woman uh, married relationship, uh, is like a type of the gospel. Just like kind of like the Passover lamb uh, was meant to prepare us and show us things about Jesus, uh, so is a sexual relationship. It's not like Paul was... Uh, writing about this God or this Christ church union and things. And he was like, hey, you know what? Uh, I think that's kind of like what Adam and Eve experienced. No, God created Adam and Eve and created a sexual union uh, to prepare us and point us for what was gonna, going to happen uh, when Christ came and united himself to the church. And that's why passion outside of marriage is so destructive. It's broken apart from its very purpose in which it was created for. So, uh, knowledge, again, this is, we should be talking about this, what I just said in two minutes for the next 20 or 30, but knowledge of this higher reality, that what, what a, re, a intimate relationship is created for, knowledge of that helps us under, understand now how we should behave in the realm of this earthly reality. In other words, our passions should be patterned after the way in which Christ and the church relate spiritually to one another. So, the way we behave with our passions must conform to that which God has created sex to illustrate. So, uh, where are we? Sorry, this is all messed up. Just as Christ reserves himself spiritually for his spouse, the church, so too are we called to reserve ourselves passionately for our husband or wife. Just as Christ is united to the church alone, Thus, a man must be united to his wife alone, or vice versa, wife to his husband, her husband alone. 
Christ does not divorce his bride. Therefore, we must not divorce our spouse. These are all things. There is alignment between our intimate lives with a man or a woman, right? With the way that God has aligned himself to his bride, his church. There's alignment there. Your passions have a higher purpose than just your pleasure. Primarily, these are uh, intended to point you and to others to the gospel of Christ. That's amazing. Your decisions aren't just about you. If you're a Christian, you're no longer your own. You are bought with a price to bring glory to God and to, to, to share that glory with others. So, again, that we should have just spent 45 minutes on that. We don't have time. Uh, all that to say, all that to say is that Christians aren't prudes. We're not like, ah, girls are gross, right? Until, like, your wedding night. That's not the case. Uh, we aren't that way. Christians love and per- should pursue passion. We should pursue it more than anyone else because we understand its purpose, that it was created uh, to prepare us and point us to the gospel. Sex isn't evil or sinful. In fact, it's the exact opposite, right? God created it to bring him glory and to point us to the gospel. It is not sinful or evil. But we must first uh, want and to be conformed to the way God has designed it, primarily in a monogamous, meaning with one person and a permanent relationship, just as God is monogamous towards us and permanent towards us. So, here we go. Uh, Let's get to some specifics now that we've laid this, like, theological groundwork. Uh, The the problem with relationships here. Whoa, whoa. Okay, Uh, here's the advice I received uh, from all sorts of people when I was growing up. Uh, My dad told me, hey— we didn't talk about dating hardly at all. The advice I got from my dad was just don't date until you're 16. I mean, like, what could you do anyway? You don't want me dropping you off, right? Like, at least get a car, right? Uh, Man, I had, like, youth leaders saying, uh, maybe uh, do whatever you want. Maybe kiss, maybe not. Uh, some, a, a leader gave me what I thought was wise counsel. Basically, do whatever you want, uh, but then just don't do anything horizontal, right? Two people, once, you, once two people are horizontal, then you get into all kinds of trouble, right? Uh, man, there are all sorts of, of what seems to be arbitrary rules, right? So in this book, uh, the authors quote a guy, teach, he, this is what a guy wrote in another popular dating book. He said, not in this book, but they're quoting from another guy. He said, you may want me to tell you in much more detail exactly what's right for you when it comes to physical boundaries. But in the end, you have to stand before God. That's why you must set your own boundaries according to his direction for your life. To keep my mind and body pure, I chose not to kiss my wife until the day that we were engaged. I'm not saying this has to be one of your boundaries, too. I want you to build your own list of sexual standards. So basically, in this popular dating book, this guy says, you're on your own. It's basically up to you to figure out uh, what is good and what is wise. What is wisdom? Uh, the problem is, do you guys know what the Proverbs and much of the Old Testament has to say about the young man who trusts in his own wisdom? He's a fool, <laughs> right? Uh, the person who is left to figure out what is right for himself or herself is a fool. Uh, so the problem is, though, is that we think, hey, God hasn't given us. God, do, there isn't like in uh, Philippians 2, Paul doesn't write 
uh, to the dating couples in Philippi. How far is too far? Well, here's the answer. He doesn't write that, does he? So we think that uh, the Bible hasn't given us physical standards for a dating relationship, right? Uh, And it doesn't. If you're looking for a hard line drawn in the sand. Uh, But he does, God, give us in his word throughout it just an immense amount of principles that I think that we can make some conclusions from. Uh, This is not, what I'm about to present is not my own thinking. It comes from this, but I find their argument pretty watertight. The Bible does give us three categories of male-female relationships, okay? There are three of them. Here they are. The first uh, category of male-female relationships is the family relationship, okay? Uh, Mother, son, uh, father, daughter, sister, brother, cousins, all these, right? Uh, Leviticus 18.6 says, None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. To uncover nakedness is a euphemism for sexual relationships. So they're basically saying, the, the Bible tells us, sex within the family relationship, no go, right? And we know this intuitively, right? We basically, we hardly, we don't need the Bible to tell us that, right? Uh, this is something that we intuitively know. Uh, so this is the first category of male-female relationships in the Bible. The second category of male-female relationships in the Bible is the marriage relationship. Uh, and then within the context of marriage, Sexual relationships are not only permissible, but they are commanded, like we've just talked about. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul tells uh, husbands and wives to have sex with one another. That's good. Passion in marriage is great. So are we clear so far? We good? Within the family relationship category, no sex. Within the marriage relationship category, lots of sex. Good. Okay, we good? Uh, the third category that we have in the, in the Bible is the neighbor relationship. And this is basically every other relationship with another guy or girl that is not your husband or wife or in your family, your cousin, your mom, your dad, your brother, sister, right? This is every other person. Basically, uh, you with every other person in here, right? Um, And this is, is, we've seen why sex should be saved for marriage and in only marriage. Uh, This is supposed to point us to the gospel, right? And in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul tells you, Paul, t- listen to this. Paul tells you in 1 Thessalonians 4 that it is God's will uh, that you avoid sexual immorality. Okay? Uh, that you avoid sexual immorality with every other person in the, in the neighbor category. Okay? I get that. How far is too far within the neighbor category? Well, uh, these guys say, and they answer, uh, if an activity is sexual... It is to be abstained from in the neighbor relationship. So your girlfriend or whatever, uh, if she's still the neighbor, right? If, if an activity is sexual, then it should be abstained from in the neighbor category. Okay, we clear on that? Okay, great. So what activities are sexual? Okay, y'all are asking good questions. Uh, in 1 Timothy 5, uh, Paul tells Timothy to treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. He's telling Timothy, as a pastor of the Ephesian church, to treat the older women in Ephesus and the younger unmarried women in Ephesus as mothers or as sisters. Paul is suggestively tying together that the familial treatment of the opposite sex uh, is tied to the neighbor category. Uh, he, he is treating these, he, he is connecting living a life of absolute purity with women uh, in the church as he would with family. 
Those in the neighbor relationship, you are to treat them as family. And his conduct toward the women in his church must be carried out within a familial framework of purity. Okay, so what am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. There are ways in which uh, you guys could hold your sister's hand, right? Uh, Or you girls could hold your dad's hand, right? There's even a way in which uh, I could kiss my sister on the cheek, right? And it wouldn't be totally weird at all. There is a line in which uh, you would cross that you and everyone else in the room uh, would be like, whoa, whoa, like even like, uh, I don't know, cuddly, uh, hand-holding, stroking, certainly kissing, right? Uh, We would be like, dude, that's your sister. What are you doing, right? Everyone knows it's inappropriate. And the question is, why do we think that's inappropriate? Think about it. Why is there a way in which even like uh, an arm-stroking caressing uh, with your sister would be like, kind of weirdly inappropriate. Why is that? My answer is, is because I think that kind of expression is sexual in nature. It is not sex, but it is sexual in nature. If sexual immorality was limited to only sexual intercourse, then it would be totally appropriate for me to go, like, make out with another girl, right? That's not Marcy, right? And maybe somebody might say, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, hey, it's not an affair, it's cool, right? We're just making out. I'm honoring my wife in this. Everybody would be like, you are crazy. What do you, that, what that, what that is, is inappropriate, is because it is sexual in nature. The word that Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians 4, he could have used another word for, uh, this is God's will for you, to avoid sexual intercourse. But instead, he uses a word that is all-encompassing for anything that is sexual in nature. Uh, Why would it be wrong for me to make out with another woman? Because everyone knows that I'm dabbling in or even engaging in behavior that is sexual in nature. So here's the point. Here's the point. It's possible for an activity to be less than sexual intercourse and still be sexual in nature. To demonstrate this, I want you to watch this, and hopefully this works. Come on. Well... Chris Sayers assured me that the iPad would work, but it's not working. Let me tell you that this video that you're about to watch is hilarious. Uh, uh, Danielle made a pie, and she tells JJ, this pie is for dessert uh, for our big dinner party here tonight. Uh, Do not eat the pie. And so Danielle leaves the kitchen. JJ walks over, cuts a piece, eats it he's chewing and savoring it's delicious and then he spits it back into the pie tin it's really funny uh and jj or danielle comes back in and says what are you doing i said not to eat the pie and he said i didn't eat the pie i did not it did not go down my throat and be ingested into my stomach uh i just enjoyed it for a little bit and put it back that's there's nothing wrong with that right uh we all know everyone in the room knows that while JJ did not technically eat the pie, he ate the pie, right? <laughs> right? The point is, uh, what I just said, uh, we all know that some things can be sexual in nature without it actually being eating the pie, right? 
So, uh, yeah, the point is this. If a man would not feel comfortable engaging in a particular action with his sister because doing so would be sexually inappropriate, then that action is sexual in nature and should be avoided in the neighbor relationship. Whoa! Meaning everyone that is not your husband or wife, everyone who is your neighbor, uh, you should avoid all things that are sexual in nature. Uh, Okay, so I've already toned down my language a little bit because I know a lot of you guys, especially you mid-high guys and girls here, uh, aren't necessarily thinking about sex. When I was 6th grade, 7th, 8th grade, I was just thinking about trying to hold hands with a girl, maybe kiss her, uh, but I wasn't thinking that far uh, in, those, in those years. But he, that's the point, though. That's the point, is that maybe one reason why we should be more realistic about our language that we're using and about what we're actually doing with people of the opposite sex uh, is that things can be sexual in nature, right? And therefore should be avoided, even as 6th or 7th graders. Right? Even if you are, by God's grace, stopping short of more intense sexual expression, you're still engaging in sexual behavior. I think these guys have made a pretty compelling argument. And if you're engaging in sexual, even less than further expressions of sexual expression, uh, you're still engaging in sexual behavior, and therefore we might even say sin. Right? I'm not suggesting that, like, making out or cuddling is the same as sex right? Any more than Jesus and his teaching on lust and adultery um, meant to suggest that lust carries the exact same consequences as adultery, right? He's not saying that uh, if you lust after a woman and if you have an affair with that woman, the same things will happen. No, there are certainly more consequences that come of that. But lust is, of course, a sexual sin. And in that sense, lust is a form of sexual immorality and should be avoided, His point was, Jesus' was, that lust is the first expression of a big sin, and as such itself, still a sin. In the same way, I think uh, making out, while not the same as premarital sex, is the beginning of premarital sex. (laughs) It's sexual in, in, in nature, and therefore should be avoided. So, yeah, here we go. Lesser expressions of bigger sins are still sins. And now, I need to say here, right off the bat, man, uh, especially some of you older guys that are guys and girls that are, are right in the middle of this, uh, I, I say this with a grain of humility here. There's, uh, there's not a commandment in Ephesians 17 uh, that says, thou shalt not make out, right? Uh, so I need to say that, that I think they make a good argument, and I wish you would read it to see if you can poke holes in it. Uh, but all I have to say, I say that with some humility, but also to say that with overwhelming grace here. There is grace in the gospel. Uh, <laughs> if, you're, uh, if you do become convinced through this kind of argument that lesser expressions of sexual behavior are still sin, uh, you're not condemned in any way, right? God's grace is bigger than all of our sin. So, hear that. Um, here's a, I, heard, I read a guy say this once on Twitter. It's really good. Uh, a physical and romantic relationship in the neighbor relationship category is like going to the grocery store without money. You might have heard me say this. You'll either take what's not yours or you'll leave frustrated, right? If you walk into Smith's super, super hungry, your tummy's growling, but you have no debit card, no credit card, and no money in your pocket— 
you're either going to walk up and down the aisles and see that rotisserie chicken uh, and take it. Well, that's probably not a good idea. The rotisserie chicken would get everywhere. Uh, But a bag of Oreos, uh, you're either going to take it and steal it, or you're just going to leave angry and frustrated, right? And so here's where we're going to move forward here. I I think this dating and relationships, dating relationships in the neighbor category are the same way. You're going to leave angry and frustrated at that relationship, or you're going to take something that's not yours, okay? So here we go. You may have gathered what I think about dating, but if I should, maybe I've convinced you, okay, I agree, I should not uh, get involved in any kind of relationship that is sexual in nature, but can I date? Can I date? Okay, so the modern concept means something that a guy and a girl are, right? They are dating. They're not going necessarily on dates. It's something that they, dating is used to distinguish romantic relationships from non-romantic relationships, right? If you're a girl, you've got tons of guy-friend relationships that are not dating relationships, but you have one relationship that is a dating relationship, right? So if this is a kind of identity of a relationship, what, what category of the three that we've given, the uh, uh, family, the married, or the neighbor relationship, does the dating category fit in? Which box does it fit in? Well, uh, I think none of them. Uh, I think that the dating relationship just kind of has crashed itself somewhere between the neighbor relationship and the marriage relationship. We've slammed it between these two. We've made up a new category, and therefore, since we've made up a new category, we also have to make up the rules for that category, right? The Bible is clear on the rules uh, in the other categories, but since we've made up a category, now we're left to ourselves to make up the rules for this category. So this is why we lack so much clarity. This is why we have to ask how far is too far. This is why I got so many arbitrary boundaries from books, uh, high school leaders, and my parents, right? The rationale is this, that a dating relationship is something more than a neighbor relationship, right? There's more to it than just your relationship, if you're a guy, than all the other girls in the room. That, there's something more to that dating relationship, but it's not quite there yet, right? You haven't walked down an aisle or made any vows to her yet. So it's not quite there, but it's not quite there, right? Uh, and therefore, uh, so yet a dating relationship is not quite on par with a marriage relationship. So obviously sex is out, but it's something more than the neighbor relationship. So we can do a little bit more than what's just permitted in the neighbor category. So therefore, our standards of purity for a dating relationship must be somewhere between just friends and married, right? Here's the deal. The Bible is silent about sexual boundaries within a dating relationship precisely because the Bible does not view this category as a legitimate category. Uh, The fact that we even have to ask how far is too far is an indication that we view a dating relationship as distinct from the neighbor relationship. As far as God is concerned, all unmarried people are bound to the standards of purity that he's defined in the neighbor relationship, right? All unmarried people are bound to the standards of purity in this category. So regardless of what we may call another person for whom we have feelings, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, uh, the object of your courting relationship, whatever you want to call it, right? Uh, We are still bound by the purity guidelines of the neighbor relationship, no sexual immorality here, right? So, um, oh yeah, there we are, sorry. Uh, 
This is a disaster. Uh, okay. Here's why, if this is a, an illegitimate category, the dating category, here's why the protection of relationships, the protection of a married relationship is so important. Okay, if you think about it, exclusivity, right? When we say that, we say, we say the word exclusive a lot when we talk about a dating relationship. Are you like, are you kind of casually dating where it's understood that you can go on a different, you can go on a date with a different person each weekend, or are you now exclusively dating someone, right? We use these words, right? Uh, the problem is, is that exclusivity, an exclusive dating relationship is no different than a casual dating relationship, if you really think about it. And you might think, no, it's true. It, it is more important. It is more exclusive. We only go on dates with each other. But if you think about it, seriously, there is no contract. Let's say you're in an exclusive dating relationship, maybe even an exclusive dating relationship with the same person for like a year and a half or two years, right? Everyone at school knows that you are a thing. This is an exclusive deal. But let's pretend you're a girl. Is there any contract preventing your boyfriend, your long-term boyfriend, from breaking up with you on Friday morning and going on a date with another girl that night? No, right? Uh, in spite of a dating relationship's apparent exclusivity, both parties, both guy and girl, are free to date whomever they choose, whenever they choose. So in the end, the commitment to, of a dating relationship is simply the commitment to tell the other person that they intend to break their commitment before actually doing so, right? Basically, that's what we expect of dating relationships. Just that you'll tell me when you're breaking up with me, right? Sometimes they don't tell you that, uh, and that's even worse. But that's basically all the commitment there is of a dating exclusive relationship. Uh, I had a video I was going to show you here, but obviously that's not going to work, uh, of this guy uh, free climbing this, like, thousand-foot cliff face completely unroped in, it's, it'll make your palms sweat. Just YouTube, like, free climbing, and you'll find some crazy stuff. Completely unharnessed in, but, like, climbing this thing. If he makes one false move, he is dead. And that's really dangerous, right? I wouldn't recommend doing that. But you know what would be worse? Uh, you know what would be actually more dangerous than doing that, free climbing? What would actually be worse is if you harnessed up got a big harness in, you did all the ombale stuff, right? And you yelled at the guy up top, and he says, hey, yeah, we're good, we're, you're hooked in. And you climb up, and you get about 100 feet, uh, and there is a, there's a move that you just can't reach. It is too far, and so you trust in the rope, you're gonna hold you. So sometimes you can do this, right? You can kind of jump, uh, because you know that if you, if you miss, it ain't the end of the world. But what would happen if the guy up there was untrustworthy and he actually never hooked you in in the first place and you trusted in the rope to hold you and when you jumped, there was nothing to prevent you from falling? That's dangerous. And I think that's actually more dangerous than the guy who walks up to the mountain with no ropes in the first place. Here's what I'm saying. Unaided climbing, the guy with no ropes, is a dangerous activity. Uh... But it is far more dangerous to trust in something that you think will hold you when it is actually not attached to anything. And that's what I think dating relationships are. An unaided climb that masquerades itself, that pretends itself uh, to be an aided climb, to be harnessed in, to be roped in, hooked in. Consequently, uh, 
singles, you guys, those who are not married, uh, don't realize the dangers you face because oftentimes you're in a relationship that you think is hooked in, but is actually not. And I think these guys are absolutely right that this makes women especially vulnerable. This makes you girls especially vulnerable. This is becoming less true, but a woman is inclined to give herself away sexually, even if this stops short of, of intercourse, in ways that she would otherwise not do with other men that she might be attracted to when there's an illusion of security there. When he says, I love you, baby. I'm going to marry you, right? Uh, right? And then we get convinced, okay, he's never leaving me. Uh, and so there's an illusion of security that's there when, when it's actually not there. At the end of the day, that boyfriend is no more committed to you than any other guy who just happens to like you, right? Uh, well, the video actually was going to start there. Uh, oh, well, you know what? Forget it. Uh, sorry. Uh, I hate the iPad. Being temporary—I think it's on your note sheet there—being temporarily committed is essentially no different than being uncommitted, if you think about it. Being temporarily committed, right? Because we get into dating relationships, most of us uh, in high school, there's some hope that it might end in marriage someday, but we all know that it's probably temporary, right? It may be a week, it may be six months, it may be two years, but it's probably temporary. But a temporary commitment is essentially no different than uncommitment. So one counselor told of a distraught woman that she was counseling. She said she's going through the pain of a divorce and she's never been married. And my guess is uh, many of you girls or many of you guys know girls uh, that this could be applied to. She's going through all of the pain of a divorce and she's never been married. My guess is you witnessed this. And I think that happens because there's a sense of betrayal there. So I dated several girls in high school and college some seriously, not seriously. Uh, most serious was this girl that was going to Baylor. Uh, I was at Texas. I was sure for like two years I was going to marry this girl. Uh, you may be, you're not surprised that I did not marry her, and I'm glad that I didn't. Uh, but in all of these cases, the ones that were serious, not serious, the one that I thought I might marry and that I would marry, um, all of those ended in a feeling of betrayal either on their part or my part. Uh, and yet both of these relationships, both parties, me and them, would have both recognized the legitimacy for each of us to end the relationship, right? We're not married. Either of us is, is, could legitimately break up with the other. And yet there was a sense of betrayal there. Why? Because the one breaking up with, the, one, the breaker upper, right, uh, he feels like or she feels like they were betraying trust, Right? And the one who was broken up with felt betrayed by that person. But why is that? There was never any long-term commitment there that a betrayal had happened, right? But you know why that is? It's because we made up a new category. It's a new category with new rules that we're trying to import rules from other categories into this other category. We're attaching ourselves emotionally in ways in which we are intended to attach ourselves to our spouse, so we have this like double speak coming out of both sides of our mouth. We use words like commitment, trust, love. I would marry you. I love you, baby. Uh, I would die for you even, we say as 15-year-olds. Please don't ever say that as a 15-year-old. If you have, there's grace. Uh, 
But we say things like that outside of this side of our mouth, right? And yet at the other side of our mouth, we know that we are free to end it with that person at any time, right? And a lot of this just comes with like American expectations of dating. Uh, it's just expected of you that you'll date lots of people and get your heart crushed and trampled probably multiple times. That's just expected. It's just the way it is. Uh, it's okay. It's, it's, it's our first broken heart. Uh, poor thing, right? Uh, the problem is it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. That's why commitment is so necessary. So there's a growing movement in our culture that is saying, uh, hey, we can cohabit. We can live together uh, without getting married, right? It's just a piece of paper, actually. And the piece of paper is actually, it kind of stifles the romance, right? Uh, we don't need to get married. It's just a piece of paper. Who really cares, right? Uh, well, the problem is the piece of paper is actually really, really important. Uh, Tim Keller, in his fantastic book, The Meaning of Marriage, by the way, I think it's good for you guys as 14, 15, 16-year-olds 16 year to read books about marriage, to read books like This Momentary Marriage by John Piper or The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller and to think about where you're moving toward. But Keller says... When there is a threat of one of you always walking out, meaning when you're cohabitating or living together, or even just dating, without a piece of paper, when there's a threat of one of you always walking out, you always have to be performing to make sure that they don't leave, right? So in a dating relationship, or the context that Keller is talking about of living together, I'm sure he has tons of people in his church in New York City that are unmarried but are living together in an apartment. When you're living together or in your dating relationship, you are always performing to make sure that other person does not leave you, right? If you screw up, you're putting the chance for that guy or that girl to leave, right? And therefore, you're never free to be yourself. You're never, never free to love one another unconditionally because you're always performing. It's only when we have the protection of commitment, the piece of paper, the thing that's actually anchored into the top of the cliff that we're allowed to be ourselves and actually love each other, so marriage is the goal. That's why I just said you should read marriage books. It's good. Marriage is the goal. And if marriage is the goal, then what I'm saying is you are unsafe in an uncommitted relationship. Relationships that you have uh, now or the relationships that you might desire in high school or in college that are not a marriage relationship, you're unsafe because that, that is an uncommitted relationship. So the authors of this book uh, have some great advice. Um, to the girls, they say, don't give your heart away until you know what he plans to do with it. Uh, it, is not, it does not have to be the case that your heart gets smashed. Don't give the guy your heart until, he plan, until you know what he plans to do with it. Mainly, until you know that he plans to marry you. Guys, stop being irresponsible. Don't try to win a woman's heart unless you plan on keeping it. Was, I could have used that advice in high school. Don't try to win a woman's heart until you plan on keeping it. Women, a man has nothing permanent to offer you other than a marriage proposal. He has nothing permanent to offer you in high school if he doesn't have a ring. And I, my guess is you're not going to get actually proposed to in high school. Uh, okay, this is, and again, the Bible doesn't, I think the Bible, we can gain all of these conclusions from reading all of this put together. Uh, but this is just wisdom. This is not just necessarily about sexual purity, about being a Christian, right? I would say the same thing to a girl or a guy who is a complete non-Christian. Even 
even if they couldn't care less about sexual purity, I would say the same thing to a a non-Christian girl. Why are you giving your heart away to someone who has no plans on keeping it? That's just silly. It's foolish. So, what do we do here? What do we do? I I am a realist. Uh, I, I realize that not very many years ago, I was in high school and I was in college, girls were nearly the only thing that I thought about. Uh, man, just like the brush of the back of a hand could send like 50,000 volts of electricity through your body. I remember, this is, I, it, this, is, this is true. I'm a realist here. So what do we do? What do we do? Are we just supposed to like sit in our room and crochet until we're 26 and some guy proposes, right? No, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, so what do we do? Is it bad that I feel attracted to someone? Maybe even attracted to someone in this room. Is that a bad thing? No, that's not a bad thing. A resounding no. It is good to desire uh, one day to marry that guy, marry that girl. God has made you a sexual being who wants and desires intimacy with someone of the opposite sex. This is the way that God has created you. That's good. Those aren't bad feelings. Those are feelings given to you by God. Remember, we aren't prudes. So what do we do? Well, in the Song of Solomon, three times in this book, we are told to, especially as singles, as non-married people, we are told to not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Three times, so it must be pretty important. Do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The unmarried aren't told to suppress or deny their romantic longings. Just sit by the fireplace and crochet, right? No, but they're told to not stir up or awaken love. The picture painted here is like a bed of coals, like a campfire. The fire's out, but there's some hot, hot coals that are sitting there. Uh, Within the coals is the potential to ignite a huge fire, a forest fire, right? Within that little campground is the potential to burn down the whole forest. But how will that happen? How will those coals erupt into a forest fire if someone stokes it, right? Someone kicks it around a little bit, pokes it with a stick, blows on it a little bit. That's how it becomes a fire. If you leave it alone, don't stoke it, don't blow on it, it will smolder and do nothing, right? I think that's the picture that Song of Solomon is giving us. Our sexual passions are hard enough to control without fanning the flame, without poking and blowing, right? So why, lo- why make life harder on ourselves than it needs be? Don't go into the grocery store at all if you have no money, right? You're going to leave mad or you're going to take something that isn't yours. So the point of this is not that you should just try to completely repress your romantic feelings or that being attracted to a member of the opposite sex is a bad or sinful thing. That's not what I'm saying. But the charge from Solomon's bride here in Song of Solomon is that we avoid things that intentionally arouse or awaken sexual desire, romantic longing. It's natural to feel attracted to a person you view as a potential mate. Again, even to someone in this room. That's good. But feeling an attraction to a person, on the one hand, is completely different than fanning into flame that attraction, right? Attraction? good, okay. Doing things that are intentionally fanning that attraction into a fire, maybe not a good thing. So I know some parents within our youth group who have told their daughters that they can have guy friends, 
but they can't have a guy friend, right? You can have lots of boyfriends, just not a boyfriend. Notice they didn't say anything about dating or courtship, but they were talking about what John Piper calls an emotional pairing off of a guy and a girl. Piper strongly teaches, he, he doesn't ever use the words dating, courting, or anything. He just advises against emotional pairing. When one guy and one girl say, I like you, uh, let's hang out, whatever. That's, what, who cares if we call that dating or courting or whatever? They have emotionally paired themselves together. So why did our parents make this rule? Is because they hate their daughters. They want them never to have fun. They never want to experience uh, America in 2014. They're so out of touch. And their parents, like, wear poodle dresses, poodle skirts, and saddle oxfords, right? They're so, they're so mean and terrible. They're, they're monsters, my parents! They're monsters! Right? Is it because they hate their kids? No! It's because they realize that when their daughters emotionally pair with another boy, they're stirring up, they're awakening, they're poking and prodding this stir, these, these coals. They're going, to, they're going to a place where they'll, where they'll either take what isn't theirs or they're just going to be really mad, really frustrated. So, so what? Uh, if this was a college group here, if this was even maybe more even realistically a, a singles group, uh, I would talk about what these guys talk about in a whole chapter about what dating friendships look like, uh, dating friendships that are moving towards, intentionally moving towards marriage. But since your dating relationships and even paired friendships, even your paired friendships, your emotionally paired friendships with another guy or a girl have absolutely nowhere to go when you're in high school other than sin or frustration, you, you guys realize that, right? Your emotionally paired relationships in middle school and high school have zero place to go other than sin or frustration. Uh, I would just say the same thing that our, those parents said. Don't have a guy or girlfriend. Have lots of guy friends. Have lots of girlfriends, not just one. I have a pastor in Louisville uh, who told me it first— Marcy told me at, at church on Sundays that she felt, like, really awkward around him. Uh, and I never felt that, but I asked him about it, and he said that he was, like, intentionally awkward with, with women in the church. <laughs> like, uh, and so if you guys have noticed, I don't—I'm pretty sure. Maybe I could be wrong here. But in uh, two years now, I don't know if I've given a girl a hug. Maybe even a side hug. I, if you guys— if you guys, are, I usually head you off for a high five, right? Uh, the reason is I don't want to give you the ever the impression or stir anything up in my mind even that anything could happen there, right? And I think that's a good rule for you guys to employ with each other. If your emotionally paredness can only le- lead to sin or frustration, then just kind of awkward each other. <laughs> this means being very careful about flirting. Maybe you guys know some people who are serial flirters. Guys or girls that are just flirting with every single person of the opposite sex. Completely insincere and completely dangerous. Uh, but maybe not even flirters. What I was just saying, too, about being flirted with. Girls. There's, there's a guy, a pastor in Idaho named Doug Wilson. And he writes that girls must learn godly rudeness. Godly, not mean, 
not, not being a terrible person, but godly rudeness, creating, creating distance between herself and guys who are flirting or moving towards her. So you are thinking, you are sitting out there and thinking, this is ludicrous. This is stupid. First he tells me not to have sex, then he tells me not to kiss, then he tells me not to hold hands, then he tells me not to date, and then he tells me not to flirt. Right? That's what I just told you, right? You know why that sounds so stupid and crazy? Because the same reason that I would have pushed back when I was in 7th or 8th grade, because of Zach Morris, uh, because of Say by the Bell, maybe for you because of, I don't know, the Wizards of Waverly Place, because you've grown up watching The Notebook, and not only The Notebook and stuff of today's culture, but you've grown up in high school reading Shakespeare. Even, it's not just like Justin Bieber and John Mayer and Taylor Swift. Think about the stuff that like before your parents were listening to. Think about like Frank Sinatra or Elvis or the Beatles. All of them are singing about girls, right? All of them. Even, you think about it, what are the movies that you grew up watching? Nearly every single Disney movie, here's the point. Let me, let me give you the point of Sleeping Beauty. Here, let me, let me t- summarize Sleeping Beauty in one sentence. There's no point of life. In fact, you sh- might as well just sleep your life away until a guy comes to give you fulfillment. That's Sleeping Beauty, right? Uh, and guys, you will never fulfill your identity as a human being until you save this sleeping princess, right? That's what all Disney movies are. Aladdin, uh, the Little Mermaid. There is no point of life outside of a emotional uh, dating or even marriage relationship, right? Bambi teaches girls how to flirt, right? Thumper, like, like th- the reason this sounds so stupid to you is because even the kids shows that you watch have taught you that there's no point to life other than a guy or a girl, right? Uh, this is the, the air that we breathe. This is the water that we are swimming in. Uh, culture around you tells you that there's no point to life. You can never be happy outside of a dating relationship. That's why this sounds so stupid. And what I'm here to say is those things are good. A, married, a marriage relationship is so good and so sweet. And this is what you should long for and desire. But if that is the sole means of purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction in my life, is if you're like just kind of stumbling along thinking, I'm never going to be happy, I'm never going to find any satisfaction until I date this girl or marry that guy, then I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but your marriage is going to be miserable. Like in the first year, you're going to find out, oh wait, the thing that I was waiting on to give me satisfaction is actually, he's a bum. He's a sinner. He makes mistakes and he hurts my feelings. Like, if you're waiting for that to give you meaning in your life, you're never going to find meaning. I hate to tell you this, but Disney movies are lies. Lies! Uh, The way, this is what we've talked about so much in here. These are thirsty people grabbing for a cup of sand and trying to quench their thirst by drinking something that is only going to make them more thirsty, right? This is a holiday, or this is a eating mud pies in a slum that we think a dating or a marriage relationship is going to give us, uh, when a holiday at the sea is offered, when intimacy and meaning and identity in Christ is offered. That's why we think it's so 
silly, but I'm telling you, what you guys are so convinced is going to give you meaning as high schoolers or as mid-high uh, guys and girls in a dating relationship is a mud pie. It's certainly good later, but it is not there. It's not created to give you meaning, to give you satisfaction. Maybe some of you parents out there, or maybe some of you people know uh, a guy and a girl who uh, did this typical American culture dating relationship, and they ended up in marriage, and they ended up fine. Uh, well, first of all, I would ask, what do you mean by fine? Right? Most, most marriage relationships that I have met, if you talk to them, maybe even those who had not had sex before they got married, most, 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 most would say, yeah, but we, we, we were not honoring God in our physical relationship, even if we stopped short of sex. But also, Doug Wilson, the guy I mentioned earlier, says to those who say, yeah, but some people make it fine. He says, yeah, some people escape plane crashes without a scratch. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be in the business of preventing plane crashes, right? Just because some people make it out alive <laughs> doesn't mean that we should just say, all right, let's, let's go crash our plane and see if we can make it out, right? So, I've gone a little long, but I need to say this. I want to talk just a little about conviction here. Your parents, even if, I'm assuming, maybe, maybe what I'm about to say is the assumption that your parents agree with me. Um, but your parents and I and Tim Bradley or leadership here don't want you to like, uh, want you girls to be like godly rude uh, or find like this intentional awkwardness with the opposite sex just because you're forced to. Uh, just because like this is the, the dating culture at Desert Springs Church or in your family compliance with the rules here is not the goal. Like, yeah, okay, I'm not going to date anybody, but I hate it. That's not the goal here. Uh, JJ said something really insightful when he first read this book a couple years ago. He said, I wish I'd had this book in high school, but I don't know if I'd listen to it. And that may be you guys too. Uh, you might agree with me, maybe have thought, hey, he makes some good points, but there's no way that we can actually do that. That's stupid. It's 2014. I'm not going to actually do anything of that. Uh, and man, that w maybe would have been me too in high school. I really, really, really wanted a girlfriend all the time, right? But if you don't learn to love God's safeguards for your relationships as you prepare to find a mate, if, if you don't learn to love these things that we've talked about, you will see them as just terrible. You're going to hate them. Uh, when your parents say, hey, you can have lots of guy friends. You can't just have a guy friend. You'll totally resent your parents. You will hate them for that. They're out to ruin my fun. They're monsters, right? But if, when you become convinced that your parents or you are making decisions for God's glory and for your own joy, your own good, these rules are out to actually give you more joy than like take them away, take joy away, then you'll begin to love these safeguards. You'll learn to love becoming intentionally awkward with those of the opposite sex. We typically tend to think that dating is going to bring us more joy than staying single, right? And generally, uh, that's true. It's good for us to desire a mate. In the context of marriage, that's true. But I'm hoping, convincing you that in this time of your life, staying single will actually bring you more joy. Why? Because dating will either leave you frustrated, no joy, or it will lead you into sin, no joy, right? So if you can become convinced 
convicted that these things are actually for more joy, then you'll actually begin to love this way of living. But you have to have become convinced yourself. You have to have personal conviction, not just your parents. Uh, You. So how do you cultivate this? It's on the back there on your note sheet if you want to. Josh Harris, uh, he most notably wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye like 10 or 12 years ago, and he's since said he would have written things a lot different. So I don't know that I would specifically recommend that book to you. First recommend this. Um, But he's got some really helpful suggestions on how to create and cultivate personal conviction, Uh, not just because it's what your parents or your youth minister say, uh, but because this is what you want for yourself. So here's here's some helpful suggestions to cultivate conviction on these things. The first is just to study God's word, just to read the Bible. Uh, while the Bible may not talk about dating specifically, we make the mistake to think that Bi- the Bible doesn't talk about how to interact with people of the opposite sex. So listen, any passage that deals with interfacing or communicating with another human being applies to the realm of the relationships that we have with the opposite sex. So here, read some of these. Write these down if you want. Read Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Read the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. Read Colossians 3, 5 through 17. Read, read Romans 12, 9 through 21. Romans 9, or Romans 12, it gives you this encouragement. To love one another with brotherly affection and then outdo each other in showing each other honor. Like, apply that to relationships with the opposite sex. What a great culture we would have if we were just trying to outdo each other in showing each other honor, especially in how we uh, interact with guys or interact with girls. Man, so just read the Bible. First thing is, the second thing is pray for the Spirit's guidance. Pray that, uh, pray that the Spirit would guide us in wanting and longing and desiring th- these things. The next thing is to humbly seek wisdom and counsel. Ask your parents. Don't don't see your parents as the enemy of your dating lives, but actually the helpers in your dating lives and seek their counsel. But that, that requires humility. That requires you to say, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm 15. Uh, and that, that's hard to say sometimes. But your parents dated once. They've been married. Uh, they know a lot more about relationships than you do. So ask them about it. Ask me. Ask your leaders. Uh, the next thing would just be read books help you understand God's word read this book uh, if you want others I can recommend others don't just read books about dating relationships though read, read books about marriage read books about just the Bible in general and then here's a wisdom one this is the last one is to just honestly evaluate the fruit of your decisions if you're still not convinced that what I've said is right just honestly evaluate the dating relationships that you've had over the last six months, two years, three years, four years. How's that gone for you? Is it, is it, is it let, has it led you into a more God-honoring, God-thanking, uh, spirit-led, joy-produced life? Or have those relationships led you into sin and led you into frustration? And if that's the case, it's time that we be realistic about what are the fruit of our decisions, Right? Uh, and that requires wisdom. Uh, that requires for you to say, 
Again, humility. And maybe I'm not making the best decisions here. Maybe there are other ways for me to go about this. That's all I got. I just try to do 40 minutes from five hours. Uh, again, get this book. I, don't, I should have ordered a ton more copies outside the book nook. I, we probably have one or two uh, if you want to buy that today. But it's like nine bucks on Amazon. Um, it's real good. Uh, and I would love to talk about this more with you guys. If you're still not convinced, I'm open to that. Uh, if you have questions about this, love to talk about it. Um, that's about it. Um, let me pray for us, and then uh, I'm going to make one announcement before we break up. God, you are good to us. You are good to have made us people who long for intimacy, who long for um, relationships with people, uh, with, with other people. We're thankful for the institution of marriage that you have given us, how it is meant to create more um, thankfulness for you, is meant to point us and point others to the gospel of Christ. God, we pray that you would make us, especially these teens here, that you would make them into wise, uh, spirit-led, gospel-driven, God-honoring young men and young women. who have good desires that you have given them, uh, but who are waiting, who are longing uh, for a time that they can be uh, committed and monogamous for the rest of their lives. God, you are a good God to us. We thank you for your word that you've given to us. We thank you for helpful men and women who have come before us, who have thought through these things more than we have in books and other ways. Uh, We can gain wisdom from them. And God, we are just thankful for your grace. That though we are weak, weak sinners, um, we are committed to ourselves more than you. We are committed to joy apart from you. You have pursued us. You have died for us. That you might give us grace, that you might forgive us, and that you might ultimately make us more like your son Jesus. We pray for all these things in his name. Amen.